I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. This week's Lost for Words podcast. We uh, we talked about having a week off this week, but lo and behold, we're here still. If only to listen to, to Jason rant about uh, yesterday's golf. Jason, hello. Hello, Tom. How are you? Oh, I'm probably faring better than you are this morning, or this afternoon, this evening. Well, maybe not, if I don't know what time of day it is. But um, it was a tough one to watch yesterday, wasn't it? Yep. Firstly, I thought, you know, pat on the back for us, we did very well. Um, ignore what happened at the moment. You know, we got second. We got uh, big mentions. Burmester being too big. Got a joint of uh, got payout in fifth. Um, okay, our now we missed the price. I didn't get on, but we bigged him up. He got joint fifth, and over the other side, you know, Bubba was my one done. Um, you know, and he got joint place. Okay, it's you know, it's not a it's not a million pounds, but you know, it was a decent enough return. Uh, you did quite well as well, Tom, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, look, we but we both strongly liked Bubba Watson, didn't we? I thought. Obviously, Cameron Smith finished in the top five as well. And then I mentioned Ryan Palmer, who also finished. They all finished the title fourth, didn't they, the three of them? And, uh, yeah, you know, as you say, it's not a win. But when you – I think it's vindicating, isn't it, when you get that that many people you know, out of the ones we mentioned. I mean, we mentioned three people that we liked on the PGA Tour and all three of them finished in the fourth in top four. Uh, and then you were obviously very high on Laurie Cantor, although he didn't get over the line should have done so everything that you said about him made perfect sense and to be honest with you i thought you know after day one i thought you know the guys i went for were you know looking really good weren't they jb hansen was up there uh richard bland played well as he does uh david horsey and then uh well richard especially had his saturdays and jb hansen had to pull out because his caddy got covid so and they'd all gone backwards by that point anyway so it wasn't really relevant but it was uh we we basically we we looked very good at the start of the week and for most of the yesterday as well didn't we? Yeah, that that um Hanson and um Otegi actually um that was one hole that killed them, which was the fifth on Saturday. Yeah. JB made treble and um Otegi made and I I like I said in my thing, they were you know certainly Otegi was down as a, a real big danger on Sunday, and that just seemed to absolutely kill him off. But it meant you could get thirteen or eight on Otegi to beat um. Somebody in nowhere near his league on Sunday in the two ball. So, you know, all's well that ends well. Um, as for Cantor, yeah, um, I'm not going to go on a rant because I'll go on forever. Uh, should Cantor have won? Yes. Why are people being kind? I don't know. Um, yes, it's very nice. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, played very well. Yes, 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 yes. I'm sure you'll win. And yes, it's really lovely to see. But quite honestly, you threw it away. Um, McGowan obviously was outstanding on the greens. Um, yeah. He was. He looked somewhere between nervous and totally relaxed, to be honest. <laughs> at times, um, he's been waiting a long time for the win, and and he was magnificent. And for all the deficiencies in his um, in his driving, um, in terms of length and having to give distance away to everybody, really, that was in the top five. I mean, you look at something like Cole Sarch, you look at Kenta. Um, he had to give distance away to everybody. His approach play and, and um, ultimately his short game was, was absolutely outstanding. Having said that, that does not forgive um, Cantor for, for the way he performed yesterday, which, you know, I thought, quite frankly, was appalling. Um, and I just don't understand why people are forgiving him. Well, you know, I said to you, didn't I, that, um, you know, first time being there, um, it was kind of, to me, obvious it was 
there was going to be nerves there. There was going to be uh, some mishaps, etc., etc. I personally do think he threw it away, like you do. Um, I don't think anyone can actually deny that. Um, I think it's a lot easier for me to not be as frustrated because obviously I wasn't on. I didn't, you know, I had no vented interest in him winning. But other than it being quite nice to see him win for a maiden victory, but I just. Yeah, I think I lean on the fact that he... Because, you know, when he had a chance... Well, he didn't really even have a chance, did he, in Portugal? But when he played so well chasing Coetzea, he looked brilliant because the pressure wasn't really on him, was it? It was on it was on Coetzea. This is the first time he's really had a chance to win. Uh, and he's not the steadiest of putters at the, at the best of times anyway. He's in sort of in the lower 80s, 90s in putting anyway as it is. That's only going to be magnified even more when you come under pressure, isn't it? And to me, it was no real surprise then that that it went wrong. Um, yeah, there's there, a difference there between... There's a difference. Putting, isn't it? it wasn't, there was chipping, there was, there was uh, everything. some bad iron shots, etc. Yeah, yeah, there was just... He just... It, I, I, I just... There was just bizarre decisions made. I mean, um, you know, I, I perfectly understand that if you're in the lead, um, then you're not going to attack every pin. There's certainly ones that, you know, are on the... You know, if you short-side yourself, you could be in trouble if you're under pressure. I get that. But you weren't asking 80, 90, 100 foot putts here. You were talking 30, 35 foot putts that he was leaving four and five foot short and not touching the hole. I mean, he was pushing them and pulling them. Um, holes one and two, he was unlucky. Um, I think he missed birdie putts by it, literally the width of a you know a sheet of paper. Um, but, you know, they didn't go in. And then it looked like he'd settled down after the par five. Um but, you know, when you look at somebody like Miguel and hitting, you know, getting eagles uh, on par fives and, and Cantor just about making birdies every so often, it, it was just wrong. And the the thing that I think everybody got, not only was he missing those four and five foot per par that he shouldn't have even had, um, it was it was putting through three different levels of rough, um, which was, you know, Radar wasn't on this week, but I'm sure he'd have said, you know, that wasn't the shot he would have taken, Tom. No, um, he would have had an opinion on it, it for sure. But I mean, there's, there's, I just couldn't understand why you would take the putter. Um, and then I think it was the following hole. He's a foot off the green, just on the on the bit of, you know, the bit of greenside rough, which is nothing. He's sitting up perfectly all right. And he, he decides to chip it. I, I don't know whether he that's the hangover from the hole before. Um, he decides to chip it and completely duffs it and does the old golfer thing where you look down at the ground as if, you know, you've hit a stone or a mole or, you know, a tractor or something. Um, and you saw that and you just went, he's just gone. I mean, no matter what McGowan gave him, McGowan gave him shots on that front nine. It's not as if he had to get to 24. You know, I can understand if, if McGowan's going birdie, 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 but he wasn't. McGowan went back to 18, should have gone back to 17 at one point, And Cantor was too clear. And, I thought the way he played after that was absolutely appalling. And, and you know, I, I'm not in, in the habit of forgiving that. And, um, yeah, I, I'm quite happy to, to be looking at him, you know, five, six behind at 50 to one next time. But, uh, you know, it, 28 to one this week, anybody who backs him at 28 is like, you know, something wrong. He'll probably win this week, though, doesn't he? That's, uh, that's normally how it goes when everyone yeah, decides to might. jump off him. Well, well. To be fair, like we discussed earlier, you know, you had you've got the likes of um, uh, Sam Horsfield, who who learnt a lot from. Uh, but he was he's not the same character, obviously. Cancer a lot calmer. Um, but Horsfield learnt a lot about blowing, blowing up, 
um, came out and obviously won twice. Um, we spoke about John Catlin, who who didn't really blow anything. He ended a consistent run of form by beating Keimer down the stretch. And this is what I mean. You know, um, Catlin, you could see, was visibly nervous at Valderrama and had Martin Keimer with him. Um, and when Keimer gave him a chance, he held it together. And, and that shows, you know, that shows what the man's like. I know he obviously went on to win again. Uh, Aaron Rye learnt from a couple of mistakes um, in uh, Ireland and should have won twice at Scotland. Be interesting to see if Cantor does learn from this. I, I've got no idea whether he will or not. He's got an awful lot of support on Twitter, um, and and you know, fair play. But but you know, I, I I'm not quite that as forgiving as as a lot of people are. I think the other thing is that like you cannot account for Ross McGowan holding that bunker shot. And for making the harder putt of the two on the 18th hole, like they are after he's also stuck one to three or four foot in the par three. Like I thought, I thought his tee shot on the par three cancers and the, and the driver obviously brilliant. Um, the the big mistake was how poor his approach shot was on the on the last hole. That's that's the thing that for me, like because the the actual chip shot that set up the final putting opportunity was inches away from being superb and was was still a pretty good effort it's just that he should like you can't even say he should have made the putt but it's just the fact that Ross McGowan who quite frankly is a journeyman golfer went and made one double the length didn't need to get the win that's the difference yeah, the, putt was, the putt was nowhere near was it yeah I mean the putt was just nowhere near the hole um yeah the approach I mean what was he 242 something like that 239 240 out um, it, it was it was the sort of shot I thought that was like I'm really worried about going right. Mm. Um, and it's the old story about about what do you see in front of you? Um, if you're confident that you know the, the golfers spot a line, don't they? They don't see the bunker. They don't. The bunker is a line, or the tree is a line, or or this is a line. But you know, it, it looked like he was going. I don't want to go there, and therefore he, he's you know he's pulled it a bit and. And he's in no man's land then, really, isn't he? I mean, it, maybe it was, maybe it was in the stars after uh, Saturday when he went into the pylons on the fourth. Uh, he ended up taking bogey on a hole he should have made. You know, he, that's not his fault, but he could have made birdie. But maybe, you know, you had that, then you had the McGowan, you know, patting everything, and maybe it just he was never ever going to win. And and I mean, Steve made a good point, Steve Rawlings, you know, uh, and you know that. He felt he was too short throughout the final round, the way he looked and the way he was playing. And, you know, a fair play to Steve. I think he's he's bang on. Um, I wasn't playing him running, but he hit 1.37 or 1.4 for plenty on Betfair. So anybody that was on at 50, 55, 66 um, had plenty of opportunity to make plenty of money um, off of him. Um, and he's right. He, he, it, it wasn't comfortable, was it? Um you just didn't feel as though he was ever, you know, he got given the two shot lead. You never thought he was going to make a two shot lead. No. And I think that was, the, you know, that was the difference. And I don't think you could speak to anyone who ever thought that he he looked like he was, he was going to do the job. Um, that's the way it goes. We, you know, we move on. Um, we learn, we learn and we, you know, I'm sure we've had bigger disappointments in life. Um, I know my wife has, um, <laughs> so, you know, my, you know, we move on to this week, don't we? I think, I think the thing is, you know, this is is golf, isn't it? You could never even predict it that Ross McGowan was even going to be the person that was in with a chance, and you certainly wouldn't expect him when he did find himself in a chance to get over the line quite how he did. So um, 
in that respect, you could probably say, well, you know, it's just pure unluckiness that you've walked into that sort of thing. I do take a lot of your points on that he should have played better. Will he learn from it? I don't. I don't know. I think had he have. Had he have hit that tee shot on the 17 on the par 3 the way he did, converted that birdie putt, and then birdied the last hole, gone to a playoff, and then lost to Russ McGowan, I think he'd have learnt a lot. I think he'd have gone, right, well, I, you know, I've played that, I've played, I've finished birdie birdie, I've done everything I can do, uh, and just got beat. Then I would say, you know, he'd come back straight away. But I think, I think, with, you know, even just putting aside all the stuff for the rest of the day, he. He really should have. I mean, he was in prime position, wasn't he, to to birdie that hole in the last, um, and basically just put all the pressure on. He's only and, actually hit and the didn't green. Do it. So yeah. all he's had to do is hit the green. Well, that's, and, that's and, what I'm and saying. And having it, said that, we that. saw we saw what he did from 30 feet. Uh, you know, he couldn't two putt from there most of the round. So um, who knows? Um, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, you know, it's it's he just didn't look right to me, and and I dread to think what it's going to be like. If he finds himself in that position again, I didn't think he opened up a big enough lead. Uh, I thought he was reasonably poor on Saturday. Um, you know, fair play. I mean, that 12 under, I, I didn't see it. I only saw the highlights of it, you know, but live must have been, it just is an incredible round. Um, and, and to, but still to find yourself in the lead after all that, um, He's hit seven under for 54 holes around there, and and no matter how difficult it became, um, that's just simply not good enough. No, I think, yeah, it's just one of those ones where very unlucky on the week to not get over the line when really, you know, should have done. There's no there's no two ways about it. Um, he wasn't he, in the top 34 final day scoring. No. You know, he's the worst score of the top 34. So, yeah, it's, it says everything, and... and um, it's, so, it, it's there's some it's, people though some people that need that to happen to kick on and and there's some people that just win straight away um you know john catlin won as soon as he had a chance on the european tour so then going and doing it a second time you've learned from that whereas he's you know laurie's never been there you know even when he, even when he played so well in portugal it wasn't ever in with a chance of winning unless cozier blew it so i think i think it's just You've got this. He's got this one in the bank now, and it just depends how. If he comes back this week and starts, you know, seven or eight under in the first round or whatever again, um, because I imagine it's going to be fairly low scoring again this week. It's you then think, okay, well then he's got no chance to kick on from there. But if he if he really struggles in the first round this week, I think that'd be quite telling. It's his birthday next week. Is it? Devastated. Could have been celebrating with a trophy, couldn't he? Yeah, well, that's, you know, of course, you, you knew that because you read my article, didn't you? But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Highlighted that one. I didn't uh, actually read it. I just don't remember that. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's the way it is. I'm going on, but, I, I, you know, it's the way it is. It's part and parcel. We've all done it. You know, you're back to horses that fall at the last when they're clear. You know, golfers that do that. Um, I bet Richard Bland, so, you know. It's... Well, yeah, but you just, you get what you deserve. <laughs> uh, you know, cricket cricket matches that, that bizarrely change in, in the last, you know, things happen and, you know, we get over it. I'm just having a little rant because I've got the opportunity to and you went on about Radar last week. I had a, Incidentally, I had a tweet earlier on about Tapio Paul Cannon's hat, which I really like. So um, I like Tapio Paul Cannon's hat. Oh, that's all right then. Right, I shall like we get on with this? Because, yeah. um, uh, you know. 
Let's go on to the Cypress Open. Which now, is, no, it is a um, makeshift event, basically. It's only just sort of been announced over the last couple of months to fill this gap. Um, typical resort cause of what we've seen over the uh, over the last few uh, weeks and months because of the situation, isn't it? Um, you know, we're not expecting a tough challenge, are we, this week? Well, I'm expecting it tougher than a lot of people that I've read and, and you, but, you know, it does look as though it's going to be um, very nice weather over there. Um, it, you know, as you say before, it's called Aphrodite Hills because it's hilly. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's designed by, you know, um, a man who has uh, very close links with Robert Trent Jones. You know, you, you get from Trent Jones, you get Valderrama all the way through to, you know, high scoring efforts. I mean, look at, you know, bizarrely this week at Bermuda. That course is a, initially a Trent Jones course. Um, he's also done, you know, Las Colinas, which is not how you say it. We know um, they held the European Tour School. Uh, Wilco Nineaber was was second there. Um, Hurley Long, by the way, is ninth alternate. I hope he gets in this week because I really like him. Uh, it's not going to. Um, and yeah, so you know, the obvious links are. Um, I mean, I think that who designed it, Cabell Robinson, Robinson. How you would say it. Yeah, so obviously we've got, uh, he also designed uh, the Royal Golf Course um, in Morocco for the Trophy Hassan. Um, and obviously there's links with Valderrama. Um, both are probably tougher courses than this, but they revolve around hills. They use the natural landscape, etc. blah, blah, blah. So um, you get the same sort of people uh, turning up at both events. So it makes perfect sense to, to use that link, quite honestly. Um, put that with people in form and don't think you're going to get a Ross McGowan this week. Uh, but, you know, you know, we don't fancy one, but you never know. Well, it's also the is it Finca Quarters in, isn't it? The uh, Volvo World Match Play uh, yeah. course in 2009-2012. Uh, Cole Sart has won there. He's one of the players we're going to talk about in 2012. And he was second year before as well. Um, and I also believe that he designed the Q School course. I can't remember which one it is now. Uh, that Cole Sartre's nearly won on as an amateur as well when he was 18 years of age. So there's some links there. To, he's a Mediterranean golf course designer, effectively, and you know there's plenty of um, you know evidence out there. Royal D Al Salem and places like that. You know there's a lot of um, places that that are using him and Robert Trent Jones. So they're they're your links really. Um, as we said, it's hilly. Aphrodite Hills gives that away. It's a resort type course. When I say it's not going to be tough, I think. I think it could possibly be a bit tougher than it was last week, purely because, although it looks fairly open, I think it's quite positional. From what I've read, you know, you've got your pot bunkers that are kind of hazardous, and and it does everything you read about flyovers and quarter views say that you've got to miss on the right side and things like that and place it. So I think there's a little bit more positional play, which would make sense given that, you know, Valderrama and Trophy Hassan are, are obviously links there. So I think there's it's going to be sort of a midway between the two where it's not going to be a tough examination, but it won't be uh, a walkover either. Because last week should have really been, like you say, 23-24 under, shouldn't it? If it wasn't for the last two stuttering and getting to 20 under as it was. Yeah, I thought last week was a lot. It turned out to be a much harder course than I thought it was going to be in the end. There were a few holes that, that were quite difficult, but I guess that was where they put the pins. Um, but yeah, yeah, I perfectly agree with you. It, ma- it makes perfect sense to look at those. And I think our selections... They're not necessarily based around that, but it's 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 always a um, it's always a start that um, 
yeah, it's a start it's to look you've at got to do with a new course, isn't it? Which is something yeah. we're finding a lot at the moment because of the, the situation we're in. Um, Andy Sullivan is the clear favourite this week after Audrey announced pulled out. Um, not entirely sure why that was. Just don't know if he didn't fancy it, couldn't go, whatever. Uh, don't know if you've got any more information on that, Jason, at all. I, I don't. I don't. No. I don't know. Probably so, going to be too short in the betting for you, Tom. That's why. No, exactly. So Andy Sullivan is in at fourteen to one. Andy Sullivan is playing well. I won't be betting Andy Sullivan at fourteen to one though. Uh, Joost Lauten and Matthias Schwab twenty-five to one. Thomas Dietrich twenty-five to one. Sam Horsfield and Marcus Kinholt twenty-eight to one, and it's thirty-three to one and bigger the rest. Um, any of those that you like? Um, I was reasonably interested in, in Lauten, to be honest with you. Um, he looks as though you you mentioned it um, a few weeks ago um, in Ireland. Um, I wasn't sure whether he'd carry that on, having let punters down quite a lot during the early part of this return. But he, he, he's looking, I think he's looking back to close to his best. Um, he's going to like it here, isn't he? Obviously, you know, we know he plays well at KLM, um, which is a hilly course. Um, he's got form over at um, uh, Morocco as well. Um, he's been placed, I think, he's top 10 and top 15 or top 10, top 20 over there. Um, and he looks right back to his best he interviewed very well over the weekend and there's absolutely no problem whether he should be double the price of Sullivan I know Sullivan's got the more recent win um is you know is debatable but yeah I thought 25 Loughton was was potentially just a little bit too big it's not enough to for me to go in but it, it did look yeah five six points a little bit too big for me out of, out of that lot well he, he plays well at Valderrama as well doesn't he and uh I think he didn't he just lose by one stroke to Sergio one year. Yes, he did. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, he was 2017. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got the obvious links there at Valderrama. Um, he's, he's like you said, he's played well at Trophy Hassan. Um, the only thing I did think was maybe probably prefers it a bit tougher than what we might get this week. Again, mm. I could speculate that the score's really low and it could be a, a bit higher than we think. So, yeah, I think that the base is like I said, it looked like he was coming back to form. He is come back to form. Um, and he's not been, you know, he's the price now that he was at the start of the, you know, the, the return to golf when he was playing poorly and stayed this way for a long time, didn't he? And and then it was it was Ireland or Scotland that he actually went out to a price that was worth betting. Um, and and then here he is. So I don't really have many qualms at twenty five to one in this field. I just there's other people that I like better. Um, your best mate at the moment, Laurie Cantor, is 33 to 1, 30 to 1, 25s, that sort of price. Um, hey, hey, yeah. So, on that price, how can you back McIntyre the way he's playing? It's just I name mean, value, isn't it? It's, that's all oh, it is. Just unbelievable. I mean, it's not as bad as Tiger last week, but I mean, really, you know. <laughs> well, he's you not can't shown anything, has he, since, nothing since coming at all. out to return? I, nothing at all. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, who's backing him? Nobody is. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it takes 3% out of the book, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it suits me having players up here that I just think are not worth betting. Um, mm. and, and that's one of them. Um, he, you know, obviously he played incredibly well, didn't he, in his rookie season. Like, there's no two ways about it. But he's being priced as if he won, like, multiple times that season. And he hasn't won mm. yet, has he? No. Um, you know, he's not... He's not someone that, he, as far as I can remember, he's not someone that had a, a standout amateur career either. It's not like he was. I mean, he played well, didn't he? he played in you know Walker Cup and, um, 
but he lost. He lost in the amateur championship to Scott Gregory. Um, he's not someone that you know had this massive pedigree. He just came out and played really well one season. Um, and I, not to take anything away, I think he's brilliant. I think he'll come back. Mm, but I think he's an open, yeah. Yeah, I think I think he's an excellent player, but I just don't understand the way he's priced at the moment at all. A bit like yep. Lawson earlier in the in the uh, in the proceedings, I suppose. There's one. There's a couple that we spoke about just off air in Jordan Smith and Sammy Valamaki that have both got former. Uh, courses that we expect to correlate. Uh, you know, Jordan Smith plays an awful lot, plays very well at the um, Portugal Masters. Has uh, played well in the man. Um, you know, he he should should like his test. Needs to sort his putter out. Sammy Valamaki, one in a man, um, should should like it here. It should be the perfect type of event for him, and he's playing well again, isn't he? Um, I just wonder if now he's gone into. A, I think he opened at fifty to one, which was quite generous. And I think now he's probably the right sort of price at 33s. Yeah, I mean, we, we you know, everyone likes Sammy, don't they? He's he's so talented, isn't he? He's um, got a great name as well, hasn't he? Sammy Van Hockey. Yeah, yes, he is. And, and you know, he's, he's an immense talent. And I've no question that he wins plenty of others. And it could very well be here at the price. You know, to be honest, when I saw they were going over to Cyprus, my very first thought was Jordan Smith. Um I mean, for me, this is this is what he's about. He's about uh, nice weather. Um, he doesn't mind that part of the year. I mean, obviously, he's won in Egypt. Um, he's won in the UAE uh, on the Challenge Tour. Um, I first spotted Jordan when he was when he was doing stuff um, on the Algarve Tour uh, before he went on to win the uh, Challenge Tour Order of Merit. Um, it, he's a much much better putter than he's showing. Um, we know he's had problems this year. But you look at his tee to green stuff, you know, in the last half dozen weeks, he's been ranked 13, first, 16th, fifth. Um, and obviously he missed the cut last time. Um, this is this is his absolute premium conditions for me. I mean, there's a few of us on Twitter that have been backing him for Portugal. Portugal open for like, I don't know, the past five years or something. I'm sure we are going to get paid out one day. But if it's not going to be if it's not going to be Portugal, then somewhere like this is he's bang up his street um and I, I think if he's going to return to top form not the pattern's a worry but he's going to give himself numerous chances he's, he's so classy um he, he has to be a play for me he was the first one and, and i don't see how i can leave him behind i think i think the thing is with passing is it's something that can change in any given week isn't it i know I know if you're putting very badly and there's a crisis and you start shutting your eyes like Sergio, there's a big leap of faith into changing it. But once you, if you can get on the right greens and you just roll a few early on in the week, you tend to be able to carry that over. And if your ball striking is in place, you, you can't go from having the rights with a driver or less of a driver and slapping it with your irons to suddenly being brilliant with them, or you don't normally. Whereas putting that can happen any given week can't it and mm. we've seen it with Bubba Watson that's what we said last week that you know it was all down to whether he could putt or not and he got onto some familiar greens he likes bent grass greens putted well he this is this should be right up Jordan Smith's like, street like he said um, he did speak about the problems he was having in the, the bubble wasn't it that he was sort of struggling with the family and the isolation and that sort of stuff um, you know maybe a trip out to Cyprus at this time of year might help that I don't know. It's a tough one. He's a player that you really like. 
um, sort of, a, a, sort of, I guess, a similar kind of ilk to Aaron Rye in that sense that yes, someone you much. see being a, <laughs> a very high performer. Uh, I sort of argued against that for Aaron Rye, and then he went and won. Um, I'm not going to do it again with Jordan Smith. I just, I do sometimes think he's a bit shorter in the betting than he shows, um, but I guess that's probably factored into the fact that it's probably a good course for him. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't argue if somebody said, you know, I think he should be a few points bigger. Um, it's very hard because, you know, you, you, you have this impression of certain players and, and what they're going to do, or what they're going to like. Um, and sometimes if they go totally out of form, that that's the only way you can let go. But when, they, when there's little snippets, so when there's that great iron play or the, you know, tee to green approaches, I mean, you just look at the figures there. You know, everything apart from putting is, is bang on. And like we say, you know, when you ret- look at look at Bubba Watson, he was doing okay. His figures were fine. He, he went to a course that we know he likes, and boom, you know he's he's got his best result for ages. And I just think that with Jordan as well. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But for me, he was, you know, I I know where he plays well. And and as I say, you know, it's it's no coincidence he he did win Egypt and wherever. And he, yeah. He, he, he calls himself, to be honest with you, along, along with a couple of others, he calls himself, and, and I'm perfectly happy to to take the 33. So um, that's that. Yeah, Wilco nine Aber should like a bit of a you know bit of a driving test here. Nine and... Aber, yeah, nine Aber was sex sorry Tom, nine Aber was second at Las Colinas in the uh, Q School. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a little link there as well, and he obviously also played well. Um, at uh, Valderrama where didn't you wouldn't expect him to which is Absolutely. something I think that's always a key thing and something we want to talk about here is that when somebody is same profile in a minute of Nicole Colsarts that you see these two long hitters uh, and then you see them play well on tight sort of claustrophobic tracks and you just look at that designer and compare it to where they've played well in the past and it kind of all makes sense Um we're kind of looking at sort of Portugal Masters and maybe a little correlation as well. He played tied 14th there, sick for Valderrama. Another one that thinks a little bit overpriced just because he's sort of a fancy player, came out and played really well for a, uh, you know, a limited amount of time, didn't he, just after lockdown. Um, and I think his price is based on potential as opposed to what he's done in the past. And that's a hard thing to gauge. You don't know whether to, to take that and I hope that he could probably be 25s, 28s if he wins, like a Sam Horsfield is, like Kinholt is, etc. Dietrich uh, obviously hasn't won, but you know was along that same lines. It's it's whether you take the price now, knowing that it's going to drop, or whether you sort of hold out and hope he goes to a 66, 70 to one for one week. Yeah, I think he, he looks a bit, still looks a bit green, nine neighbor to me. Um, yeah, just just the impression I've got, he, he hasn't really got a um, got a plan. Um, in in a way, so you know, you can you can lump as you rightly say, you can lump that sort of player together. That you know, we've got it over at the um, you know the PGA tour. We've been saying for a while, various players that that you know hit the ball long way and just aren't getting it done. Um, are they too short? You know, he could. He's the type of player that could win quite easily. But I agree with you. I think at the moment, I think he looks just a little bit naive. Um, and there are other players that that it's not. The opposite to naive is streetwise, isn't it? So, yeah, there we are. They look a bit more streetwise than him. Um, no doubt in his ability. Um, he had his little, you know, he had a very, very good patch, as you say. Um, 
at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, you know, he's going to smash it, but he doesn't seem to have that knowledge, that, that you know, whatever you want to call it, life skill, golf skill, whatever you want to call it. So we have to leave him at the moment, but what else can you say? Yeah, I just think it's one of those things, isn't it? It, it would make, you know, it'd be no surprise if he did contend at the weekend. I'm happy to let 40 to 1 go. Same with these next couple of two. I'm going to come up with is Sean Crocker and Antoine Rosner, both 40 to 1 as well. Rosner has got form everywhere you look for these sort of uh, tests that we're correlating to. I think he's uh, he's an excellent talent, uh, as he showed on the Challenge Tour. I just, again, think that maybe he's slightly on the short side in terms of pricing. As for Sean Crocker, I just want to congratulate him on his Piccadilly medal win in 1974, which is listed on the European Tour, which is actually 22 years before he was born. Um, so possibly the European Tour needs to look into their uh, results page. Um, I don't know. There was a Sean Crocker in 1974 that hasn't been uh, unlinked from this one, but uh, that certainly wasn't him. Um, moving on very swiftly from that to my first selection is Nicholas Colsart. Um he won at Finca Courses Inn, which is at the Volvo World Match Play, designed by Cabell Robinson. Uh, has played well in all these sort of events here that you know we expect him uh, to show up in and on these sort of course forms. He had a third at that World Match Play as well on the same course, second at the Portugal Masters. Um, he's played well in the Man. He's played well at Valderrama, as we've mentioned. And I just think that for someone of his talent, and again, you know, it's very important to mention he has only won three times and they were quite spread out on the on the European Tour. It came as recently as last year in, in the French Open. Um, you know, if the wind gets up on the coastline, that's not going to be a problem. He's played well in an Open Championship. He's played well at a lot higher level than this. And I'd certainly expect him to do well, especially when he's in the form that he is currently in. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, he, yeah, if he finds the fairways... He's finding greens. Um, I thought he was excellent over the weekend. I thought his interviews were brilliant. Um, he's not under any pressure at all. Um, I think you've summed it up perfectly. I think he's wrong price. Uh, he was bigger earlier. He was 50 to 1 with Hills earlier on, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, that was ridiculous. Um, you know, you look at the players in front of him that, that haven't won yet, you know, some of whom are out of form at the moment or seem out of form at the moment. Yeah, that, that was nonsense. So I'm absolutely with you. I think, you know, if they shoved him in at 33, 30 to 1, you wouldn't complain. So, yeah, he's, he's almost definitely a bet as well. He's going alongside Jordan. Well, see, I kind of expected him to be the 33 to 1 range and me not want to bet him. Um, again, I'd still think it was something you'd consider. Um, but it's one of those typical, isn't it? Like he was 100 to 1 last week. How far do you want him to drop type thing? But when I saw 50 to 1 this morning, I just, you know, I'd, I'd messaged you, hadn't I, yesterday when we were first doing our mm. research. And I'd said to you, like, he'd, he'd nearly won uh, on a on a course at Q School at 18 years of age. I think it was by Trent Jones or Cabell Robinson. I forget which one it was now. Then he's got that winner, Finca Courses in. He's played well. You know, you don't expect Nicholas Colson to play well at Valderrama. Okay, he's not won there or anything like that. But he, somewhere where it should be complete opposite of his game, he's, he's played well, respectively. And I just think he's in that sweet spot of age now where, a bit like Lee Westwood in the sense that, they're kind of both a bit carefree about their careers now. Obviously, Lee Westwood's got a lot more cash than Colsarts has and, and has achieved an awful lot more. But uh, they're both 
healthy. They're both in a in a good place uh, with their family life, etc. Off the course, um, so they can just go and freewheel it. They know they're more talented than 70-80% of the field, whatever it may be. Um, and when it gets onto a course at a suit like it should do this week, then then they're just going to go out there without caring the world, I think. Yeah. I mean, Westwood isn't because he's not here this week, but you, you get my drift of where I'm going. Yeah, yeah I've got, no, I've got, yeah, absolutely. I think Westwood's probably a better jet skier um, <laughs> or whatever it is that kept him out. I Colts Arts probably on the, uh, on the drink at the time. But, um, but yeah, you know, um, everything you say is fine. I've got absolutely nothing to add. I think you're absolutely right, and I think he's too big. Whether win or lose, doesn't matter. He's too big. There's uh, Marcus Armitage is playing well. I sort of spoke off air that I didn't realise he was actually in the field until I saw him. He's the same sort of price, same as Matthew Southgate. Where they're both playing well, they're probably too short for, for my liking. Uh, Paul Waring shows up an awful lot uh, in the correlating courses. But again, it's someone that, that I find hard to get on board with. David Horsey, he's got a lot of correlating form with Valderrama and the trophy Hassan. But let me down enough last week to to avoid that and then we'll come up to your next selection or your first yes your next selection here Jorge Jorge Campillo yeah see pronounced as if you were Scottish yeah <laughs> um, yeah absolutely I mean for me when the prices came out this was the one that stood out um, you have to catch him right we all know that he goes off and, and but he returns in the same place every single year uh, namely um, around the desert um, so obviously, you know, he's won in the desert. Um, he's won in Morocco, won 2019 in Morocco. Before that, he was second at Qatar, Doha. So everybody normally puts up Doha next to Portugal. Um, you've got the winds, you've got the slight hills. He was second in Amman before that, despite a second round 78. Uh, 2018, fourth in Amman, third in the Irish. So wind there. Um, he's got top 20s of Valderrama. Um, and this year, interestingly, his best effort, was at the Portugal Masters. Um, you know, he's got, I mean, before that Portugal Masters, done, he's, you know, he's also got um, two top 10s and a top 20. So he ran 8, 17, 17, 8. He's gone out of form the last couple, but, you know, he's a, he's a player for the continent, for the desert, for the nice weather. Um, so the Scottish Wentworth and, and last week, you know, I, I can forgive it, to be honest with you. Um, his figures actually aren't that bad, apart from his putting last week. Uh, his figures aren't that bad. And I think he's just like Jordan Smith. He's returning to a part of the world, weather conditions, course, that are going to be right up his street. And to be honest, for a two-time winner in better class, 60 to 1 in context of what's in front of him is just ridiculous. And that's my view. I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? Is that although there's a... There's a lot of players at the top of the betting that are potentially very, very good. I mean, you've got Matthias Schwab, you've got Thomas Dietrich, Sam Horsfield, are all expected to be superstars, Robert McIntyre, etc. There's not a lot of proven commodities at the top, is there? Um, you know, Andy Sullivan, okay, he's won a lot of times, yeah, and Yost Um But these, these are guys that are there on potential rather than what they have done. Um, it's not like you've got even you know he hadn't won for years, but it's not like you've got Mark, Martin Keimer, Lee Westwood, etc. in the field. You've got people that are potentially very good more than anything else. Um, so when you've got someone that, like you say, is one in higher quality uh, and won multiple times, then you certainly want to sort of give them a second look. 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's that much between him and, and uh, Loughton, to be honest with you. Um, as you rightly say, I mean, I think Loughton's priced right. Um, I'm not saying Campillo should be 25. My point is he shouldn't be, you know, 45 points bigger, given you point out you think Loughton wants a harder track. You're possibly right, more wind. Um, Campillo doesn't. He wants, he absolutely wants these conditions. And it's, it's just wrong. And, and I'm very happy to back him at 60. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very confident they'll go well. It's, it is one of those things, isn't it, where I think he's not maybe given the respect that, that maybe his game deserves. Mm. I think it's probably fair to say, because I think that, like we say, when you look at the two wins that he has got, OK, it took him a, it took him a while to get there, didn't it? Um, and he had a lot of sort of flashes without really... Uh, getting over the line. But then when he does, it's the Qatar Masters and the Trophy Hassan, which are two decent events in in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I just think that that says an awful lot when you can get over the line. I mean, again, the Qatar Masters was over David Drysdale, which is a player that... Yeah, he took six holes to get past him as well. Yeah. It took six holes to get past him, yeah. It's, um, it's different. But then when you look at who he beat in uh, Morocco... Sean Crocker, Julian Suri, Eric Van Royen. Like that's a that's a quality scalp, isn't it? In you know, on reflection. So yeah, I quite I, I like the price completely. There is a couple of others that are kind of uh, interesting in this range. Uh I thought Chris Paisley was interesting enough. Um yeah. Yeah. he's he's playing well again, isn't he? You know, he's fifth at the Scottish Championship. He played okay last week, he was thirty ninth. Uh, he's had a couple of you know really good chances earlier, you know, just coming out of lockdown. Um, and then when you look sort of like back at his sort of best performances, he's got two top fives in Portugal. Um, he plays well at Qatar. There's a bit of wind. Um, he has a, a top nine finish in Oman last year. It, there's a couple of sort of indicators to suggest that this may be a sort of track that he may like. Um, putting is obviously one of his stronger points, if not his strongest point. So. If it does turn into a bit of a putting contest, that will help him. Um, obviously, he still only has that one win, but I do think he's a player that's sort of trending into a second victory. He's not for me, to be honest. But um, I'm, you always bring up Paisley and Hanson if he's playing, don't you? Yeah. So, um, you know, he's your mate. He's done us a favour on the podcast before. Um, I've got no problem if he wins, but he, he wouldn't be for me. I don't think he's stand out, but I just think that that possibly, again, on the subject of value, when you look at the people that he's longer than, like in the terms yeah. of odds, like I think, like to me, it surprises me that he's not nearer the fifty to one mark when you compare like Connor Syme, um, you know, That's Will Besseling, people like that. You know, they're people that are they're solid, and and I think that his win equity is just as likely as they are. I don't. I didn't come into this, and and we didn't even speak about him off air, did we? That that he was someone I particularly liked this week. I just when I look back at the figures and where he's played well, and we talk about Portugal and a man, he's come up in both of those. It's just something that's worth mentioning. That's very fair. Yep. Um, anybody others from this sort of range? I think you sort of mentioned that Kawamura was interesting. I thought he was interesting because you know, like I said, we didn't know a lot about him, um, and you know, he appeared at the, on the Valderrama leaderboard. Um, obviously had a, an actual real chance um, going into the final round. But when you did look back, you know, again, he had, for us, he had, he's got a top 10 in Morocco in 2019. Um, 
he was just quite interesting. I thought, I wonder if he, you know, if the links are there, he could turn out a bit better. But at 66 to one, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, I can't see him winning, but he, he was of interest. Yeah, no, I can see that. Jonathan Caldwell is a person I think you're you're quite keen on as well this week. Yeah, I really like Jonathan Caldwell. Um, again, to win, you know, to use your phrase, win equity. I'm not sure what there is there. Um, but 90, 100 to 1, I'm quite prepared to, to take the chance for him to place again. Um, last two weeks, obviously, seventh in Scotland, uh, fifth last week in Italy. Um, four excellent rounds, you know, very consistent, 67 and 368. A um, couple of interesting facts. Um, his long game isn't exactly magnificent, um, but he's putting the last two weeks. He's gained uh, eight shots in Scotland and nearly 11 shots last week in Italy. So he can put the lights out if it if it comes down to that. Um, and he has got previous decent putting as well, so it's not just a flash in the pan. Uh, what was just interesting, I read a, a little interview with him after Ireland, which obviously they were they were very interested in, um, in that he said he thought there were little things to work on, that he thought that he was maybe trying too hard to get a position at the end of Thursday and Friday and then nothing left to give on Saturday and Sunday. Um, went off to um, have a little break and work with his coach, came back and has instantly, you know, improved his efforts. Um, as I say, you know, two top sevens um, and you actually got paid out on him last week in Italy. So I, I just think he might be a player that knows where he wants to be. I know he's not exactly, he's not, you know, particularly young, but he knows where he wants to be and he knows what's wrong and he goes away and works at it. So given that his putting is excellent, uh, which, you know, may be an asset around here. Um, I just wonder whether, you know, he it's, it's a pure speculation, um, whether he'll be working on, you know, other aspects such as, you know, his approach play or whatever, just as, so that he can exploit exploit that play with his good putting. And, you know, the way he's trending, as the Americans like to say, 7th, 5th, it's exactly the same sort of class field as it, it has been in both those tournaments. They're perhaps slightly weaker than the Scottish. Um I thought 101 was very, very fair. Um, can he win? We, we don't know. Let's see him, you know, two shots clear overnight on Sunday. But it'd be interesting to see what he does. If it's, if it is, I'm not, I don't know if it's going to be a wide course, as you rightly say. If it, sometimes you read it and they say, you don't want to be in the rough here. The other ones are saying, you know, it's, you're perfectly okay. You know, taking driver out. He's not the longest anyway. Um, if he can concentrate on that accuracy, um, I would just be very interested if he can get a lot of chances on the greens and see what he does. 100 to 1 for a player in the right direction. We, you know, again, blah, blah, blah. It's always context. You've got players above them that you're guessing whether they're going to come back to form. You know, they haven't shown enough. They're just running on name only. Um, this man really is in form. Um, so for me, I'm happy to add him. Well, the thing is, as well, like, like I say, he's. Uh... So he's not on the the younger side, is he? It's not like he's a, a kid that's improving, etc. He's he's late thirties or whatever, and and up to this point, he's not shown an awful lot. But he is showing stuff now, and that's all we're that's all we're concerned about, isn't it? It's not a case of what has he done or what is he going to do. It's what he's doing right now, and at the end of the day, he's playing good golf. So that would be what I'd be focused on. And like you say, he's putting well. Um, and that snippet you said there from the interview that that is the sort of thing that changes people and it doesn't matter if you're 16, 36, 41, whatever if there's something that you've decided isn't right you go away and work on it and it makes a difference then uh, it's not a bad thing altogether is it? 
No, I mean, look, you, you know, he, he, he played in 2007 Walker Cup, so he wasn't, he, he's not a Muppet. You know, that was Rory and David Horsey were in, you know, and, and the mighty Reese Davis were in that team. <laughs> um, I, Danny Willett. Um, no, he honestly, Reese Davis is mighty. And I think it's a shame that he's gone. But um, anyway, um, so he's no, you know, he, he's always got the talent. It's, it is sometimes. We, we spoke very frankly to Toby's in the, Toby Trees in the field this week. We spoke quite frankly with him during lockdown. We know how good he was as a, as a youngster, and it's not happened. And, and things just sometimes kick in. And you, you, you know, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about him soon. But there are various little things that you know you might pick up on after a while. Maybe you're comfortable with the coach and your management, and you just don't want to change for years. But in the end, you realise that, um, or your caddy. And in the end, you realise, you know, five years I've been plodding around getting fortieth. I want to make a change and. You can either be happy doing, you know, plodding around in 40th and earning, you know, what is a very average wage for a golfer or want to change. And it just that that little interview just gave it that little bit more um, uh, momentum. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. He may well fade away again. We don't know. But then so might, you know, Cantor and he's 28 and Caldwell's 100 and neither of them have won. So, <laughs> you know, what I mean, yeah. no, it's so, exactly, the thing is, that is the thing is that you can't. You know, this is a predictive uh, business. It is something that there's no certainties in any of it. Um, you can only deal with what you've got, you know, in front of you, and and that's what we're looking at, isn't it? And at the end of the day, he's uh, he's doing enough to to catch the eye. So that's all that really matters. Another guy here who was over double this price at the start of the day is Christopher Wright, and he uh, he's a player that for some reason I had no idea why I was following him on social media. Um, and then suddenly it just sort of caught my eye that he was playing some good golf over the last few weeks. Sort of, I think he's had some injury problems. Um, and then he played well last week, but couldn't put it right together for four rounds. And then this week finishes tied fifth uh, in Italy. And then he opened up at two hundred and twenty-five to one. Um, the interesting thing about that is he was eight for the second stage of Q, Q School, um, which is a Cabell Robinson design. And then he was 14th in Morocco and 21st in Valderrama last year. Um, they were standout results for him as well. So it suggests that he does like those sort of courses. 22 years of age, got a lot of amateur pedigree for sort of represented Norway. Uh, the World Cup and the Eisenhower Trophy as well, I believe it was, um, with Victor Hovland. So obviously, I think there's a lot of decent young players coming out of Norway at the moment. You've got Christopher Jura as well. Um He's played in everything. He's got Jackson League East Trophy. He's played in European Boys. He's only 22 years of age. Um, so he's got plenty there. He actually played as an amateur in the 2018 US Open. He got through at Walton Heath. So he's got a lot of sort of stock there already. Um, and I just thought as soon as he showed something last week, it was worth betting him. He's now gone down to 100 to 1. So I think that you know, you, if you're not got on at the price, it probably isn't worth doing. But I thought that he'd done enough to sort of stand out at 175 and 225 to one earlier in the day. Yep, yeah, stinks of a Ben Coley tip, doesn't it? This one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not arguing with you, Tom. Yeah, these kids can do anything, can't they? We've already seen, um, you know, uh, Rasmus, um, you know, launch himself into into uh, the stratosphere really um, this year, and uh, you can't argue that. Yeah, fair enough. He, 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 I thought he was quite funny on the was it 18th yesterday. When he he was just off the green and he was yeah, holding up a bird and and he he just looked at it and he laughed and 
he looks great. He looks great fun. Um, just like you know, like most of the youngsters, really, he could be anything. Yeah, hundred to one looks a bit okay, doesn't it? But yeah, it's it's. it's but I think even on the Stephen thing, I kind of expected him to be a hundred to one, and, and yeah. couldn't couldn't bet him. Like I was just thinking, oh, I'd be a hundred to one. He's not going to be worth betting. There's other people at a similar price. Don't worry about it. When he came out at 225, I don't mean I missed the 225, got the 175. I thought, okay, that's great. Uh, tweeted about it because I knew it I could only go one way. Um, but it's, it's interesting you mentioned sort of Rasmus Hogarth there because his brother Nikolai obviously played well last week, didn't he? Sort of after a really sort of lean spell. And it just strikes me as these sort of like 19, 20, 22 year olds, all these sort of things that, you know, they're going to play well at some point. There's a reason they're already on the European tour. Now they're going to come to these sort of resort courses that your average Joe can go and play and and sort of succeed on. That you know it's only got to take a little bit of confidence and obviously right hand has got that over the last couple of weeks that you should expect them to go you know flying up the leader will come the weekend. Yeah, yeah, so, no, no, no argument there, mate. Yeah, Stephen Brown. Uh, we talk about Portugal Masters. He's a former winner of that. He's got two top fifteens at Valderrama. Uh, he finished seventh in the Sicilian Open 2018. He's obviously another coastal track as well. Um, good player, isn't he? Very good player. Um, you know he's going to find greens. You know he's going to give himself the opportunities. It's whether he can convert them. Um, but just based on that sort of form that obviously he's got in the Portugal Masters and uh, the Robert Trent Jones design in Valderrama, um, again, you know, every sort of time we seem to talk about Stephen Brown, he's in this. 125, 150 to one bracket, isn't he? He doesn't ever seem to steer away from that unless he has a, a really super sort of top five finish or whatever. I thought seven places, 125 to one was decent on a course that isn't going to ask much. I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think you know he he reminds me very much of um, not. It's not the same, but the, the, the same type of player. He's like nowhere near as long as hitters as Cantor, as Burmester, in that they give themselves so many chances and if they don't take them, they're in trouble. Um, they will make errors, um, but they do give themselves enormous amounts of chances on the greens and, you know, the majority of the time they just don't take it. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. We spoke about him earlier on um, and he was one that, that if we were talking about, you know, courses with hills, if you like. So you've already mentioned Valderrama, Portugal, to KLM, Sicily, um, he, he, yeah, he, he's a three-figure price that could quite easily get there. Yeah, there are a few there, aren't there? Um, so it's a very interesting tool. It's a very interesting competition because I think you have got some class elements there, um, proven winners um, that are going to like it. But you, you, you've got that middle section where there aren't that many that you can fancy, and then you go down to the three figures. And I think you've picked out. You know, a couple that that have legit, fairly legitimate claims. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Before, sort of like last week, we were kind of a bit like, do we really have to preview that event? Do we really want to bet on it? Is it something that we're that interested in? And all of a sudden, it comes to the week, and you're like, well, we've done the bit of research about the courses that may link. We've found the designer, etc. Uh, it just piques your interest. And come Sunday, when someone's chucked it away for us again, we'll probably change our mind. But. <laughs> um, there's at least a little bit of uh, interest coming up to it. There's one other sort of person I wanted to mention is Clemens Sorday. Um, we talk about the Amman Open. He's got a second and a tenth there. Um, 
and also I believe it was Mauritius that he's played very well as well. He finished eleventh. So these sort of inland coastal um, island and coastal tracks. Sorry, um, he sort of has that sort of pedigree to do well. Um, he's one hundred and seventy-five to one hundred and fifty to one sort of seven places. Just someone that you know when you look at the sort of courses that you're expecting people to play well on. He popped up. I just thought it was worth mentioning because, as we said before, when we sort of picked him, it's someone that has shown enough at the the sort of slightly lower level, and and this should sort of be the range where he's making an impact on this tour. Yep. Nothing else really to add on that. It's not. It's not a, a selection I'm confident in. It's not someone I'm really. I don't even know if it's particularly a selection, but just someone I thought was worth mentioning at a big price here. Yeah, I, I like Sorday. Um, I've said it many times before i think he's a very very quality ball striker um but he's he is typical um he's typical gallic in that he's, he's hard to read sometimes when it goes wrong um you know they seem to fade away unfortunately um aman he should have done a lot better um made a couple of mistakes and that was the end of him but yeah 175 one he's very very classy i certainly think he's better than um you know two or three that, that are around in that price. Um, having said that, around that price, you've got Dale Whitnell, who's playing really, really well as well. Um, so, yeah, why not? Why it's not? going to be one of those events, isn't it, where there's going to be, out of the top 15, 20, there's going to be eight players that are going to be long odds, aren't they? It's going to be one of those where you've got a couple of class players who I thought that would be, that'll be right out there and in contention. And then you're going to get these long shots littered about because it's one of those events that there's so many unknowns about. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what it's going to be. I mean, it doesn't. I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a, an event where long hitters will dominate. If they do, you know, again, you've got the likes of Tapio Buchanan, who's mentioned his hat, his lovely hat, um, really nice hat, certainly better than the hoodie anyway. Um, you know, he'll love it because he can boot the ball an absolute mile. Um, so it, it's just, it is actually going to be a really interesting tournament. You know, Gagley might like it here. Um, has done an awful lot. Louis Dejager, he played well over the weekend. Um, you know, Shinkwin could do anything. Uh, and just a quick one for, for, you know, our mate Toby Tree. Um, yeah. We spoke about him earlier. He is playing, but it's two I want to mention. First, Toby. Um, he is playing much, much more consistently. Um, we spoke about Robert, uh, McIntyre earlier. And, of course, McIntyre's caddy is now with Toby Tree. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's a change, and he, he does seem a little bit more consistent. Um, certainly, see his name in the top twenties every every. He's not quite getting there, but I'm sure it's not that far away. And he looks, he looks a far more consistent player than um, than he did earlier on in the year. So, so you know, um, we're, you know, as a friend of the podcast, we're hoping that he does a good job. And the only other one of what I'd want to mention, as you mentioned, nine April earlier, is Garrett Kigo. Yeah. who I think is going to be um, the first out of them to, I know he's won at Portugal, but to win at this, you know, at this higher grade, um, uh, I think he's exceptional. Um, and I'll be really interested to see how his career progresses. He was a really good amateur. Um, you know, he held his own perfectly okay over at home at a very, very young age. Um, won his tour championship over there. Came over, did well over, um, over here, challenge tour, uh, qualified for the Q school and has already won. Uh, you know, I mean, that that Portugal Open was, you know, challenge tour level really, wasn't it? Um, but he's playing really, really well, top 30 recently. And back 
over at uh, again you know nicer weather if you like better weather a uh, little bit of wind that's never ever going to bother anybody from South Africa um, he's really accurate off the tee He's one that, that I just can't back him at the price that he is this week, but I'm fascinated to see how his career progresses because I think he's going to be... We've discussed it before, that South Africans have generation upon generation upon generation of good players. You know, the likes of Burmester are doing their job, but, you know, it's now time for the 19-year-olds to come through. And I think he goes going to be the best of all of them, um, including nine over. It'll be interesting to see how they get on. I think we'll transition nicely into the Bermuda Championship. Talking, we mentioned a couple of names uh, just there uh, in Christopher Ventura and Rasmus Hogard, who are both playing this week. Uh, Hogard, uh, I don't know, this is, is this his PJ Tour debut or has he played before? No, he played. He went over there for for um, for, for a. Um, but he went no, over there. Barracuda. What was it called? US Open, didn't he? Oh yeah, but I'm just thinking of like regular tour events. Uh, can't remember. I thought he did play the Barracuda or something, but yeah, yeah. It might might be something like that. But it, it's not a, a familiar place for him to really be playing. Our previous guest, Will Zalatoris, his favourite, eleven to one. Brendan Todd, who won last year, twelve to one. And then you start going down into twenty-five to one on Harold Van der Third, which I never understand. Twenty-eight to one on Doc Redman, who's obviously playing well, makes obvious claims. Emiliano Grillo, thirty to one. Chris Ventura and Denny McCarthy, 33-1. to 1. It's 35-1 to 1 and bigger the rest. Anyone from the top lot uh, that you like? They all make sense, don't they? Yeah. This is one place where, where you know, this, this event this week, they all make sense. I know they've only had one running of it, but, you know, you just look at what these... I mean, yes, I come back um, Harry Varner. You know, he, he, he goes on birdie runs, eagle runs, and then does something incredibly stupid. Um, but Grio makes perfect sense, you know these um second tier events if you like or what are normally opposite events if you like i know this one carries the lure of a master's invite um and a lot more money so maybe the pressure's there and, and Grio doesn't normally win in that class but this is exactly what the way is every, every, all them you know doc redmond's playing well um todd and zalatoris i mean zalatoris's figures are just phenomenal um i think somebody mentioned earlier he's got to be the first time that that a favorite for a PGA Tour event that hasn't actually got, um, hasn't got any status really, is he? No. Uh, I think he's, he's playing for, for special. He's got to go for his special, isn't he? I think he come up fifty points short or something ridiculous yeah, last time. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I it's mean, it's just a matter of when, not if, isn't it? Stunning, absolutely. I mean, you know, his, his figures are just incredible. You you can't argue with anything. The only thing he hasn't got at this level is the win, um, yeah. but it's it's surely coming. Um, and Todd. You know, this is where he he sort of, you Came know, back. cemented his name back. Yeah, it's back into form, final round 62, um, and he's he's putting really well. And this could turn into a putting competition. So um, both make sense. Zalatoris side favour over Todd. Um, I'm not. Is that because you can't you can't see Todd going and doing it again? I just think he's 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 that's him. That we know. Yeah, we know we know what Todd does. Yeah. Zalatoris we actually haven't reached I think Todd we've reached the pinnacle of what he can do yeah. um, I'm not saying I could back any of them but no. make per, you know Zalatoris I, I certainly, it's one of them and it, it it makes perfect sense but you couldn't back him uh, Look, you look at his figures and the way he's playing how can he be out of the top you know the top eight for example um, and no doubt he will be um, but, you know it's hard to argue isn't it you, what is your argument 
that at some point it's got to stop that is your only argument and you can't you can't run it like that well that's the thing is i think everyone kind of expects that to happen when you've done the first couple of events on this tour and, and play well at the us open and everything like everyone's like, it will stop eventually uh it won't it, he's he's 59th in the world when he's only just got on the pga tour so you know you work out how many ranking points he must have got on the web to get up that high um obviously us open performance helped as well but it is like you say both of them are you can't argue with their price because they can't be any other price but they're just not bettable i mean i'll i suppose it'd be different if it was kind of like a jt or a ram or something like that but i don't think i'd want to bet anyone in this field at 11 to 1 i don't i don't it's the type of event where there's 20 30 people that i could probably bet to win it um i'm not going to do that but there's plenty you know it's one of those events isn't it where i think it's wide open so to take someone on at such short odds seems pointless to me yeah, it's 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 it's, it's difficult. It, uh, they're the right price, but you can't back them. So yeah, there we are. Absolutely. Um, so where is we've got a couple of uh, selections. I think we all sort of start around the the forty to one mark, really. Um, and and I'll let you go off with the first one, who I think I agree with as well. Well, firstly, at, at forty one, Stenson's quite interesting. I think um, you yeah. keep putting him up at a, probably a bigger price than he is here. I'm quite interested to see how he goes, but you know, again, I couldn't back him. But my word, if he's in contention, you know, he should absolutely gag up. But the one that stuck out for me, um, and and yeah, must be for a few others, is Peter Magnati. Um uh, Everything about his play and everything about this location suggests that he has to go well. Uh, I mean, okay, recently fifth at the Shriners, second at the Sanderson. Um, We'll do his figures at the minute, but in his past, he's got 11th at Pebble, so, you know, coastal, bit of wind, 12th at the Sony, 17th at Houston. Class-wise, he's got a top 10 or top 6 at the Tour of Champions. Um, obviously, he won the Sanderson uh, way back in, what, was it 16, 17? Can't remember now. Um, it might have been so, 15, I think it might have been. Was it 15? So, he loves it Not there. Nice, it? He's got a top 10 in Mexico at the El Bosque, and he won the Sao Paulo tournament. So we know he goes well at what, what do, I don't know what we call them. It's not second level stuff, is it? It's not opposites either, is it? Really, this it's anymore? It's the full series events, isn't it? If we call it opposite, people know what we mean, don't we? Yeah. But yeah. Um, so he goes well at all of those, and lately his his you know his performances are amazing. I mean, Zalatoris is incredible, but um, Malnati's last two tournaments, uh, tee to green, he's found eleven shots combined, approaches ten shots, and putting twelve. So if he's in that sort of form, my, my worry is his his driving actually isn't isn't great. Um, but I'm sure you know I, I would imagine that an experienced player going to a course and knowing that they're great approaching and great putting, that's what they have to work on. You would hope that um, they, they'd, they'd sort of change their game, amend their game, amend their mindset to suit. And, and given what he's done and that overall record. He, he just, you know, he absolutely stands out to me. I mean, you, you've got uh, Tringali, who I've liked a few times this year. He's shorter. Charlie Hoffman, shorter. Uh, Ventura, I know you like, but he hasn't actually done it. He's shorter. Grio, um, you know, um, often sort of deceives. Um, I don't really know what you want from a 40, 45 to one shot. So, yeah, he's absolutely stand out. Yeah, for me, that he was the one like before even any of the prices came out, before I even looked at research in terms of correlating causes, etc. I was just interested to see what his price was because it, well, I think if he'd have just done what he did at the Sandersons, 
and was waiting in uh, from Sergio and that was it and didn't back it up I'd be easy to write it off like you know he got hot and that was it but he backed it straight up didn't he um, and this is a winner so it's it's interesting to see where he goes from here I think at the price in the context of the field it's worth giving him another shot isn't it I think it's mm. as simple as that like I think if he had been 20 to 1 you've got to start making your questions about it but not to pick on Harold Varner the third but what has he done to be 25 to 1 when Peter Malnati is 40 to 1 that yeah, be, that's the way I kind of look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another player I really like, and this is based on potential, is Justin Searle. So um, he was part of that Matthew Wall, Victor Hovland, uh, Colin Morikawa class, where I think he was at a press conference with a couple of them uh, when they first came out. Um, had injuries. He had you know bad wrist. Um, he was missing like cuts, no left, right, something. Anyway, two of his first twelve. Um, but it was kind of um, just missing them. He wasn't, you know, wasn't far away at all. And and suddenly now he's in he's in spectacular form. He just seems to be hitting the, you know, hitting the right form at the right time for him. Um, taking advantage of not weaker fields, but well they are, aren't they? But you know, someone yeah. there, you know, not superstars in there, you can take a chance. Um, and back them and it just it just feels like to me like he is banging on the door and he's going to be the next one of these is he going to be as good as um you know the likes of uh wolf morikawa etc it's going to be very hard to be but he was he had the pedigree to be better it was good as not better than all of those so when that's the case um you kind of want to look out for someone like that i think yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's taken on his old college coach as well, which may have helped um, recently. Um, I, I agree with you. Uh, he, he could be anything, couldn't he? Um, it's whether injuries take their toll or whether they, you know, if he's patient enough, he knows he's got the talent to come back to form. You've mentioned the company that he kept um, and he's watching them do the business. Um, if that's a, a spur on, um, which it clearly is, if he's, if he's sort of, you know, gone back to, a successful coach why not he's showing he's showing enough form so yeah this is a perfect tournament to try and um, demonstrate how good you are and and i agree yeah it's it's you know i, I prefer somebody that's proven in this um i know we're only going on uh, on one year really um but i can't argue he could be anything but that, the thing you, you mentioned there is if he's spurred on by it would be promising I listened to a podcast he did with Shane Baker and, and he sort of spoke to him about how he felt when all of the others were kicking on and he wasn't quite doing it. And he said that like, he was fine. He said that the fact that he could see them doing what they were doing, um, and I think he'd also practiced with Bryson and, and clicked him in a practice round and then watched him win a major. Like He just he just sat there and said, look, I know I can beat all of these guys. I know I'm capable of doing it. As soon as my wrist is healthy... I'll be doing the same sort of thing. And he was straight away, he was in that mindset that he's going to be, you know, top class. And if you can carry that over from a successful college career as well um, and start backing up within the form that he's in now, um, you'd certainly like to see it. And we, we sort of see like the Puerto Rico Opens and the uh, the Barracudas and things like that. There's always sort of a, a youngster that tends to get sort of tipped, don't they, um, to go well. And you just look, I mean, he's eighth, and 14th in his two starts, you know, last two starts, Corellas and the Shriners, um, both better, well, the Shriners obviously a better field than this Corellas, similar sort of level. Um, but I just think that he he's just, 
like instead of sort of sulking about the fact that he sort of got off to a slower start, he's just kind of taken himself away, gone and played the local IQ series and things like that, just to get himself back into the game, played so many tour events, played on the South America tour, and just got himself in the frame of mind that he needs to be in, and now he's showing it. I mean, look, these 8th and 14th place finishes could be nothing, but if he's the player that he's expected to be, then then he's at 40 to 1 in this field, he's going to be a great bet. Yeah, every, every chance, absolutely. Yeah. Aaron Wise is my next one, who's just after him in the betting at 45 to 1. Um, I've spoken about him a couple of times, haven't I, recently, um, saying that he's sort of sort of showing signs of coming back to form. Um, and he is. You know, he's playing some good golf. He was 17th at the Sandersons. Um, plays well in this level of things as well. I think it's easy to forget that he was uh, you know, the Rookie of the Year. I think it was only 2018, so it's not even that long ago that he was Rookie of the Year. Um, two back-to-back top 10 finishes in, in the Mayakoba. Um, played well in the uh, Puerto Rico Open as well, I believe it was. And then he finished his third here last year. It just He's playing one of the correlating courses. He is of a level that, you know, you know, similar to Justin Sarsbos in that he came out of college, had a really good pedigree, and then showed it straight away on the Europe, on the PGA Tour as well. Um, if he's making a comeback to form that I believe he is, then 45 to 1 seems good in his company as well. Yeah, he, he was actually, the first, when I was doing this on Saturday, he was the first one that sort of sprung to mind. Um, exactly as you say. I mean, I, I just wonder whether, I know we, we put a lot of um, emphasis on this um, it's not a second league, but this, this whatever we call it, group of events, so Bermuda, Barracuda, Mycoba, El Bosque, etc., etc. Um, and if that still rings true, despite them putting this up in value and, and status, um, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, this is exactly what he does. It's exactly his level. He's a very good putter. Um, yeah, he likes the greens. Um, and he'll be, he'll be very confident. He'll be coming here knowing, look, I mean, we, we discussed this before. Missing the cut at the Shriners is irrelevant, really, now. Because I think it was like, you know, 40 under or something. Missed the cut or something silly, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so th- that's an irrelevance. That MC needs to be taken with a pinch of salt, as it does with quite a few players. Even at the, the Wyndham when he missed the missed the cut was 68-71. So there's nothing horrendous, really, there. Um, and I agree with you. Yeah, I, I, he was on my list. Um, it's just about how many I can back around that price. Um but he's, he's definitely a tempter. I think the thing with him as well is that we talk about whether uh, the the pressures or um, the fact there's a Masters invite on the line is uh, a negative in the sense that it puts a bit too much pressure on there. I just, to me, in, unless something's drastically changed, I know his form went out the window, but unless, unless something's changed drastically in his mind, he believes he's a major you know, player and contender, if you like, Um you know, he's always struck me as that coming out on tour, won very quickly on the web.com tour, then won on the PGA Tour in his first season, shooting 23 under par and beating Mark Leishman by three strokes. It was no, like, um, you know, no mugs game. Played very, very well, Trinity Forest. And uh, I just think that, yeah, as I say, rookie of the year, you know, we, we talk about Emiliano Grillo, he was rookie of the year as well. And we sort of, he always gets put up for these sort of events. Uh, and Wise is, is of the same ilk to me. I think that, they're both trying to find their way back to their right level. And, and Aaron Wise has got a bit more time in his hands than uh, Emiliano Grillo has. I think you're right. I think top eight for all the three we've mentioned. Um, 
make bake you know if you can get that it, it makes absolutely perfect sense um yeah i agree wise was the first one on the list earlier after i thought about it maniati went there but yeah i'm not going to argue with that yeah and also he's only when we say about a 17th place finish at the sanderson's as well he was two shots outside the top six and shot a 72 yeah, we the day as well yeah. so um i know i know it's all lifts and butts and things like that but we're talking about two shots over four days like it's, it's there was no bad round there. He's just a seventy-two wasn't no, good enough to get it done, was it? When he plays, his figures are great. Hmm. So yeah, he, he should be right up there at the end of this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another player that kind of uh, appealed to me to a certain extent was Scott Stallings. Uh, he was eighty to one earlier. He's now into sixties and fifties. Uh, which puts me off slightly, but since the restart, he's a sixth at the Travellers, a fifth at the Barracuda, and sixth at the Sanderson Farms. Two starts guys. We just talked about Aaron Wise as well. Um, doesn't have a ton of sort of showings in these sort of second-class events as we talk about, um, but he's a three-time winner, obviously, as we know. And one of the things I quite like is the fact that he's played really well at Pebble Beach after struggling there for years. He's sort of gone like fourteenth, seventh, and third. Uh, his last three starts, obviously that's a coastal track. Um, the Spyglass Hill course uh, is a Robert Trent Jones design as well. He shot 65 there uh, when he was third there last year. I just think that he, you know, we talk about class players in a field. He's, he's a three-time winner, and there's not many of those in this field. I know obviously you've got the likes of Henry Stenson, uh, you've got Brendan Todd in there. Um, but other than that, we kind of Patrick Harrington is, is a major winner, etc. There's, there's players dotted around, isn't there? But he is of the, of the people that are so extremely competitive. And I think what it was with him, the why he's gone off the boil a little bit, is he's he's made a massive adjustment physically. Like he's gone from, he, I was probably won't mind me saying, he's you know unathletic to absolutely ripped and nothing of him. Uh, and I think that takes an awful lot out of your game and your, your feel with your wedges in your hands and things that are probably hard to adjust to when you've made such a big transformation. Yeah, as you can hear on Tom's excellent interview with Scott Stallings on one <laughs> of our earlier episodes. No, it is. It's a great interview. Um, you know, and it's, it's very good of these PGA Tour players and the European Tour players to give us their time. Um, you know, that, that was a, a very revealing one. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing with Stallings is he'll always hit greens if and his putting's terrible. Um, yeah. And we know that. I mean, literally, you know, whatever you've seen over the weekend, when Stallings gets it bad, he, he's nowhere near the hole, is he, from five feet? Um, for me, I'll always keep an eye on him uh, from halfway because I, I prefer him to, to be a, a, an off-the-pace player. Um, yeah. You know, um, I mean, look, you can look down his record. He, he does have some terrific Saturday and Sunday rounds. Uh, generally, when he – I think he won from miles back. I can't remember where it was. Um, but even recently, if you look at it, you know, the wind, I mean, I mean, Barracuda, where I think we did fancy, him but didn't put him up. Um, he went 71, 69, 68, 65. Wyndham has gone 70, 67. Sanderson has improved 72, 68, 67. It, it, that's what he does. And I'll always have him in mind for an in running bet because I think that's where he wants to be. And if you've missed the whatever he was this morning, Tom, what was he, 80? 80, yeah. Uh, if you've missed that, which obviously we have, um, I'd be happy enough to take 50 and running if I thought that he was within striking distance. So I, I wouldn't want to be on before, but yeah, he's he's 
you know, he's classy enough, isn't he, if he gets the putter right. Yeah, I can understand that reasoning completely. Um, Tyler McCumber is playing some very good golf at the moment. Um, you know, it won't... He, he would have come here before as, as it was thinking it was kind of his, his way on to the PGO Tour. He had to take advantage of these sort of starts, etc. Uh, now he's had sort of a third and a sixth in his last couple of starts. It's, uh, you know, suddenly that kind of pressure's off and you can you can kind of take advantage and, and just sort of freewheel if you like. Second and a sixth, sorry, I did him a disservice there. So um, I thought he was an interesting one at least. Uh, he did play here last year. Uh, finished 41st, but you know he, he had four rounds of sub 17 and shot a 72 on the final day. Um, just thought he's worth mentioning at a, a reasonable price considering his form. Uh, not sure he's a selection of mine to be honest with you. I know you you like Russell Knox, don't you? And he's obviously played well, well at similar sort of events. I, I was I was looking at Knox. I, I don't think I'll be playing the way he's playing. Uh, he's going to need to play a lot better than this. Uh, but again, he's it's a bit like people were saying about um, Henley over the last few weeks. You know, he's a better player than he's showing. Yeah. But I, I I was looking at Knox as we were talking earlier on and I'm, I'll, I won't be touching him, no. There's, I'm going to start going into sort of the 100 to 1 range unless you're uh, going to take me anywhere else. Uh, no, just quickly. I thought um, on the opposite sort of age scale to Aaron Wise, I thought Stuart Sink was quite interesting. I mean, there's no course that he has, you know, obviously he's been around for, you know, years. So there's really no course that he uh, doesn't like, but he's he, he's perfectly, very, very well suited to win. Um, and he was just of interest because, um, obviously at the Safeway, he found yeah, enormous amounts with his son on his bag, um, came out the week half, played really well at Sanderson, finishing well with a 65 at the end. The Shriners, I don't know what happened, final round, can be bothered, whatever it was. So I'm forgetting that one because he started 67-63. Um, I'd just be interested to see. I'm, I'm now not sure that the price is, is worth taking at the price that he is. Um, I just wonder whether he is back. And if he is, you know, events like this and class like this, really, he should be, he should be challenging for the win. Um, but he, he's, he's probably 15 points too short than I want because I don't know what he's going to be like. So, no, you carry on going through your long shots, mate. Uh, so I was looking, there's a couple of names that, that kind of stick out in these sort of events that you can't really back them anywhere else. Josh Teeter was one. Uh, finished 11th here last year. Uh, finished second to Victor Hovland at that Puerto Rico Open. We're hoping the Puerto Rico curse doesn't catch up with uh, with Victor Hovland, but it's at least, uh, at least Josh Teeter's managed to avoid that. Um you know, he he is uh, not someone I'd bet ever. Uh, he's not someone that I would tell you to go heavily into. But when you look at the fact he finished with a 64 here last year, open with a 72, and still you know finished inside the top 11, um, I thought that was pretty impressive. And then you got Wes Roach as well, who yeah. um, just plays well these courses, plays well at Puerto Rico, plays well in Mexico, played well in this event last year when he finished tied eighth. Um, they're both guys, uh, you know, journeyman pros, aren't they? But they're 150 and 175 to one. I just thought they're worth mentioning. This sort of company. Yeah, I, I thought about Wes Roach exactly the reasons you've given. Um, I mean, you look last year, you had sort of Brian Gay, um, Gomez turned up. Roach obviously was was eighth. Um, 
you know, Knox was there last year, Norrin, I mean, you know, so you get a mix of, of quality youngsters and journeymen, for want of a better word. So, yeah, Roach clearly plays well. I just wonder, where, like I say, I just wonder if this had been an opposite event and it had been that price, it would have been more appealing than the fact that it's been made a more important event. If you, you know, a pro- and, and that's the only thing, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd happily look at, you know, top 20 and top 20 doubles and stuff like that for Roach, but whether I can see him place in top five in this grade, uh, I'm not sure. I think both of those are kind of top eight bets for me. They're not, they're not kind of uh, people I expect to, to win. Certainly not. Um, They've shown it enough over their career that they don't win. So it's it's a case of at that kind of odds, 150, 175 to one, the place money is worth having. Um, as we say, we've we've got three very strong selections in the 40 and 45 to one range that we're very happy with. Um, it's interesting the importance that you that you sort of maybe put on that. Um, the fact that it is now obviously not an opposite field event and actually got its own Masters invite, etc. I can completely see the point. The only thing I would say is I suppose the field has not really got any stronger because of that, has it? Well, no, but but they know it's got a master's invite at the end, yeah. don't they? Um, it's not, you know, there's no TV cameras and, you know, everyone's concentrating on whatever the main event is. It's like, you know, this is what everyone's looking at and, we're, you know, we're here to, to ultimately, you know, yeah, the points and the money matters, but it's not really, is it? You know, if somebody interviews them at the end of third round and they're in the final two ball, the, the main thing is not the whatever million pound that is going to be for winning it. It's going to be, do you know, if you win this, you get in the Masters. It may not matter to Lux's Alatoris, who's going to be in the Masters anyway. Um, you know, not this year, I know, but, you know, unless he wins. But he's going to be in the Masters, isn't he, next year or the year after? We know that. Yeah. Um, but for the others, for the Wes Roaches, for the, you know, um, whoever you want to pull up down there, Will Gordon, whoever you want to pull up, for them to be interviewed and, and you know, it's more than just winning a tournament. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And I just, they haven't proven it in the past, so why should they suddenly do it this week? Yeah, no, I can understand that completely. Um, it's one of those events, again, I feel like we've had a couple of these in, in recent weeks um, where it's really hard to have a very strong... Uh, opinion on a lot of the field and, and instead I just want to focus on the ones that we kind of have uh, you know in the Peter Malnati, Justin Sir Aaron Wise range um, and then I think the others are just people that we're just happy to mention because I think they're worth picking out of a, a bunch of names I mean I'm not being funny when Fred Funk is in the field uh, God knows how old he is now um, you kind of understand the level of uh, event that we're playing in it's kind of it's I used to love watching Freddie Funk play. Yeah, I did before he, you know, stopped being able to hit a ball. Just, just, just one player worth mentioning is Tom Lewis. I think he's gone yeah, over I've there to try. And, yeah, he's yeah. gone over there to try and, um, you know, get a bit more consistency and 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 not resurrect a career because he was second at the St Jude. Obviously, he's played really, really well at um, uh, Pebble, I think, as well. Um, uh, and and again, another interview really fascinating. It's exactly the same. Oh, drop the cup there. Uh, <laughs> wife will kill me. Um, I can't even remember it. Well, Jonathan Caldwell. Uh, no, they're not the same. You know, the same grade. But um, Tom Lewis said exactly the same that he feels he was trying a bit too hard on. And and it's interesting because you must recall that 
him being up there on first round and second round leaders quite a lot mm. um, throughout his career. So he said that he thinks he's working, he was working a bit too hard on Thursday and Friday and not putting enough in over the weekend. Um, and I just thought if he's you know now dedicated himself over uh, uh, on the American tour and he's not particularly worried about what happens in Europe um, and he's now got that new mindset, really, I mean, you know, a tournament like this, he should be contending. I'm not saying he did a win, but he really should be contending, shouldn't he, really? I think it's a name that he went on that massive run, didn't he, at the, the St. Jude, and he shot, was it a 60 or 62, yeah, or whatever it was that he shot? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it looked then like it was a Tom Lewis that everyone expected him to be as he came out as a young kid, didn't he? And I think he believed all the hype around him as a youngster uh, and maybe laxed off a bit, tried to search for something to get to the next stage when, you know, if he'd have sort of stuck to his strengths, etc., he might have been okay. And, and it does appear that he is uh, he's looking back to his best. And if that's anywhere near uh, the case, then this, like you say, is a field that should be perfectly suited for him and he's going to take advantage. As you say, it looks like he's trying to base himself out here. And this is a sort of event, I think, is it a two-year exemption they get now for this event? Um, that's going to be huge. It's a life-changing... You talk about Masters invites, that's going to be a life-changing thing for him if he can now base himself in, in the US to, uh, to pursue that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh... Like I say, it'd be interesting to see the way the way his career goes. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's fascinating to see these players and who they played when they were amateurs, you know, in the Walker Cup um, that he played in. Um, I mean, really, the best-known name, I suppose, would be Andy Sullivan, that he played in the same team. Um, and they played against uh, your mate, Patrick Cantley, who I'm sure you were pleased to see win <laughs> over the weekend. Ecstatic that he won yeah. the weekend. Harris English, Russell Henley, Kelly Craft, who should have been better than he actually turned out to be uh, Patrick Rogers another one Jordan Spieth Peter Ulhein so you know this was top quality year um, and it, it's just fascinating to see you know certain the, the way certain players go um, they go to America and, and you know earn a few quid and do absolutely nothing uh, stay in Europe and be you know champions or try to play both and it's just it's fascinating to see the way they go and uh, if he has rededicated himself you know, this is his grade. I'm not saying you could back him necessarily, but it's just an interesting watch for the future, I think. Talking of uh, sponsors' exemptions, I believe uh, Ollie Schneiderhans is in on one as mm. well now. Um, he was a player, wasn't he, that everyone was very, very excited about for, for obvious reasons. He was playing incredibly well. Um, he was playing okay recently in the Corn Ferry Tour. Didn't get his card back at the finals as he was hoping to. Um, I think his brother is actually in the field who yeah. shot a 59 in the practice round as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think I think that's the thing. That, I don't know if that maybe you know it might be a bit of a tenuous link, but if seeing his brother come up and playing the way that he's playing, and that might just be giving him the extra spur on to to sort of refine his own game, maybe rededicate himself, and uh, it'd be interesting. I don't think there's actually any odds available on him yet, um, but it'd be interesting to see how he gets on after. You know, returning to form, if you like, on the Corn Ferry. Yeah, Robert Rock returns to form without wearing a hat, and so do the Schnitterjans. <laughs> the neither, neither of them wear a hat, I don't think. They've got a brilliant, both got a brilliant set head of hair, though, haven't they? That's the reason. So, I mean, if I no hoodies there, eh? No, if I had their hair, I would never wear a hat ever again. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have uh, the hair of a fifty-year-old, uh, so I wear a hat every week. So, here we are. There we go. 
any well you've had your rant at the start of the show really haven't you uh, yeah it wasn't a rant really i thought i was quite calm um you were very calm compared i'd to like to I mention you were going to be sandwiches uh, um just because I've been, I've been, no, I mean, I, you know, somebody mentioned it on the radio the other day, and, and they thought it was weird, but I thought raspberry jam and mature cheddar wasn't weird. You tried to tell me about this the other day, didn't you? And I just sort of pulled. I think I just used one of those vomiting emojis. I don't, I don't mm. see what I, I really thought people were brought up with sandwiches like that. So, no. yeah, it's got to be extra mature <laughs> cheddar, and it's got to be raspberry jam for me. Um, that's a lovely sandwich. Um, laughing cow cheese. And uh, honey roast ham as well on a bagel in the morning or bagel, depending you where you come from in the world. To me, when you said the message, you said laughing cow and honey roast ham on toast. Yeah, I've had it on toast, but it's better on a, on a bagel stroke bagel. But, as well. but when you say when you say on toast, yeah. you literally mean like you you spread a bit of laughing cow. Yeah, and then you stick some ham in. And stick some ham on. Is that weird? Is it... I don't think that's weird, but people. No, but is do. that a toasty or is it a toast? Is it on toast? No, it's you on know, toast. like you get cheese on toast and then you get yeah, cheese toasty. No, it's not a cheese toasty. But that so actually, so do you know I think what? A toasty would be better. I'm I'm going to try that this weekend. Because I could I could almost get on board with it with a laughing cow cheese and ham okay. toasty, but I but could not... not get I couldn't I couldn't I don't know what it is, but like to me, if you just have a bit of toast, so you've got laughing cow on a, on a spread on a bit of toast, That's and right. then you're just sticking a bit of ham on the top. No, honey roast ham. So. But it's not. But it's not cooked, is it? Well, it's not. It's not oinking. I mean, <laughs> but what I mean is, it, so come, I mean, it comes out of it's flat. I mean, it's not babe or anything. Do you know what I mean? No, but, but when you put it in a toasty, it kind of warms up with the cheese, doesn't it? But when you yeah, just yeah, yeah, I actually, it on top I actually of a bit of really, toast. I actually really like that idea. Thanks. I, I'm, I'm going to try that one. Yeah, I, I I'll try that. I, one. I can't get my head around the concept of. Just I've been having. It. Do you know what I've been having this week? I've been having wraps with. Uh, peppered roast beef and uh, German cheese with jalapeno peppers in with that Branston pickle. That give me a really red face. And with Branston pickle. It's absolutely tremendous. Do you get a really warm face with the peppered beef? No, but, but you can also, if you dip it in cream of tomato soup at lunch, oh, it's, it's honestly, it's legend. See, me, me and you, we're the polar opposite, so I don't feel the need to go and invent... Uh, strange sandwiches and or come across these happy mistakes like, I remember my <laughs> uh, a friend of mine sort of went for really uh, I think it was gammon and marmite he once oh. had in a sandwich and said it was fantastic and I was like well, how, how do you get to that stage like to me if I'm making a sandwich I'll, I'll have cheese and ham or I'll have egg and crisps or you know things that are just oh, wildly known now, now. Who was it? It was Matt, wasn't it, who mentioned about having salt and vinegar crisps in tuna sandwiches. Absolutely bang on. I have che- I have um, ready salted. Normally, I'm a cheese and onion crisp man, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely 100%. If you any flavour, that's going to be the flavour. But if you make a tuna mayonnaise sandwich, right, put your spring onion if you want, right, if you're that way inclined, which is fine. I'm not, but yeah. I am. Put ready salted crisps in. Um, in it. God. Uh, in it scrunch it up it takes it to a next level let me tell you woody is bang on there mate I'm telling you, he uses salt and vinegar which is a bit it's a bit wayward that sounds but, a bit strong salt and vinegar on the old tuna no it's it that well do you know what let me tell you it's a sensation like you've never had i mean i'm a big i'm a big crisps in sandwiches advocate so i wouldn't i you know i like tuna sandwiches i like really sort of crisps so i can 
I can completely see yeah. that. I can't yeah. I can't get over this raspberry jam and mature cheddar that you so you easily glazed over. You don't put Chris in that. You, you, I, don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just... Jam and cheese, Jason. Jam and cheese. <laughs> this is, this is it's two sandwich elements, but in one. Do you know what? It took me years, and I, and I mean years, to accept that cheese and ham go together in a sandwich. Really? Like I literally like you know when you know when you go to uh, you know, whether it be a supermarket for a meal deal or yeah. a petrol station, you see all these selection of prepackaged sandwiches, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I always like to go for a BLT or a chicken and bacon or yeah, okay. uh, egg and cre- egg and cress at Marks and Spencers is is the dream. I absolutely love egg and cress. Uh, and and I always used to see like you either had and they always used to be labelled like just cheese. Or it'd be cheese and ham. I think what a waste! Like, oh, I did not come. Good. I did not come to the shop to buy a cheese sandwich. Like that's something I make at home. And it just happened to be that my nan decided to buy a cheese and ham prepackaged sandwich, and then never ate it. And she said, "I'll oh, have that, Tom." And I just and I ate it, and I thought that's glorious. I thought, I thought that's absolutely superb. And ever since now, I find it very difficult to have a just cheese sandwich. I generally have a cheese and ham sandwich now. Um, so that's a happy mistake, but it's a common, it's a common choice if you like. I think I just used to think it's a bit bland. It's the juxtaposition of flavours, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't. I mean, I'm a guy like to me. I, I have the opinion when people try and chuck things on cheese, i.e., chutney or mm. pickle or anything like that, I get quite frustrated because I think cheese is a great flavour on its own. You don't need to do all that. No. Um, well, no, where you go wrong is at Christmas when they start selling cheese with apricots in it and shit like that. That I can't do. Yeah, That is yeah. wrong. It's just wrong. Do you like, like jalapeno in cheese? No, I said that. Like the I Mexican said, cheese? I just said that. No, I know, I you, said, said, I know you said that you had roast jalapenos beef. with roast, it. No, no, no. It's, in no, the no, cheese. no. it is in the cheese. It's German smoked cheese with jalapenos in it. Right. On roast beef with Branston pickle in a wrap. There's too much going on there. It's just, it's just it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cornucopia of flavours, Tom. I just don't need all those like explosion of flavours in my just give What me... about cranberry? Do you have cranberry no. sauce in your oh, no. in your sandwiches? You're joking. I think I think that Christmas is the worst time of year for puddings, for uh, little starters, for those little treats like Mince pies, right? They are the they are the single worst treat in the entire world. Like everyone goes, oh, love a mince pie at Christmas. Why? They're fucking awful. My wife makes lovely mince pies. They 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 get soaked in rum. Your mince... wife could make the most incredible mince pie, and I will still spit it out. That's good because you're are... not having one, mate. <laughs> I won't be invited over for one, but. No. But they're awful. Mince pies are the worst things in the entire world. No. And mm. then you get Christmas pudding. What is, why? Yeah, Christmas bit, pudding yeah. is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Well, not the worst thing. It's after mince pies. And then, and then, oh, if you don't like those two, oh, you can have a trifle. Brilliant. <laughs> trifle. Not, that, that's a mistake. <laughs> that is awful. Do you know what? Jelly, custard, and what is it? Like bread stuff in it. Sponge, sponge fingers. 
punch fingers. <laughs> get that out of my jacket. Those cheap trifles are apps. I mean, we get them every so often, and I, I can't face it. They are just disgusting. They taste of paper. I mean, it's just, it's just wrong. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. But homemade trifles are good. Nah. Yeah, because you can soak you can soak the sponge fingers in, you know, in a bit of alcohol and stuff like that. But the shop bought trifles are are I just dread to think where they've dragged this shit up from. Yeah. Like, and to me as well, I think you know the best thing about Christmas is like I love turkey, and everyone yeah, keeps trying everyone yeah, keeps I... trying to find a way of getting out of turkey right. and having duck or they start having these non-traditional Christmas things, like having a curry for Christmas. No, just have a roast turkey. They're fantastic. You don't get them all year round. Just enjoy it. It's fantastic. They're great in a sandwich afterwards. Don't need to piss about with it. Just turkey, absolutely fine. And then you get done with your turkey sandwiches, you're a bit full, and you think, oh, I'll just have a little light pudding. I'll have a Christmas cake. That is heavy, isn't it? It's very heavy, isn't it? And stolen. And things like that. Like, why? <laughs> Why is there? Why is there such? Yeah, you would never buy it. Puddings. You'd never buy it any other time of the year, would you? No. You'd look at it and go, "I'm not eating this rubbish." Panettone uh, or panettone? I can't oh, even I like. Say it uh, it's so yeah, dis- I don't mind panettone, but it's just—it's just, disappointing, though, isn't it? Very extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. And all this orange stuff. Orange is really big in it at the moment. It's massive. Like everything's I like orange. Choc- I like chocolate orange. Like I like. Uh, te- uh, Terry's, not Tetley's, that's a tea. Yeah, Terry's it's and uh, chocolate buttons with orange, orange twirls no, are fantastic. No, they're horrible as well. I really like those, but you know, th- to me, like, why is Christmas the worst time of year for puddings? It's meant to be the happiest time of year, it's meant to be a time where the family all gets together and you just plate me up with that crap. Well, what do you want? Cheesecake? Oh, I love a cheesecake. Victoria a, sponge? You know what? I'm, have I told you I make a brilliant Tia Maria cheesecake? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I don't know whether I'd like that or not because I don't know if I like Tia Maria, but I'd I'd, I'd give that a go a hundred times out of a hundred over ever being forced to eat a Christmas cake. There's yeah. No, there's, no, there's no redeeming features about Christmas no, cake. There isn't. No, there isn't. There's a reason they set it on fire. It's because it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, I like that one. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got all these puddings, haven't you? Like all, all the way throughout the year for roast dinners, you have uh, cheesecakes or you have apple pie or strudel or crumble, whatever way you like having it. Uh, you have ice cream, you have jelly, and you have whatever. You have all these different just standard puddings all the way across the year. And then Christmas, you just get all fancy and crap. Yeah, and and dates. I hate dates. Dates only appear at you know, people. Nobody has them in the house, ever, no. ever, except at Christmas. When your dad will come home and he'll go, I bought six boxes of dates because we like dates, do we? <laughs> well, why haven't we liked them for the last 51 weeks of the year then? Oh, it's Christmas, isn't it? You know, and oh, you buy I... you buy like 52 packets of nuts and raisins. I like nuts and raisins, right? But I don't yeah. need 52 packs of them. Again, like, why can't you just have normal nuts? Why does it have to be nuts and raisins? Why does it have to be a fruit mix? Why can't it just be cashew nuts? Oh, okay. oh, because they're expensive, aren't they? They're very nice, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you. Um, yeah. I just, I just find it really frustrating that, that Christmas is. I mean, I'll tell you when not, I had trust issues is sticky toffee pudding. I love tr- sticky okay. toffee. I bought a sticky toffee pudding for tonight. I had a sticky toffee pudding that never had any of the dates or anything in it. Like I just must have just had the sponge and the sticky toffee on it, 
and I thought it was glorious, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, okay. And then, and, and I went to a wedding, and on the you know the choices of pudding, it was like apple pie, whatever, sticky type of pudding. I thought, oh, last time I had that, absolutely glorious. <laughs> Turns up on my uh, plate at the wedding, I just I turned to the person, I was, what's this? It's just your sticky toffee pudding. Well, it's not. It's got like all this dry fruit and dates lovely, in it. It's crap. Lovely. Oh, it was bloody awful. I was devastated. And I was like, they were like, well, that's a traditional one. I was like, no, no, there's so many different ways to make a sticky toffee pudding. There's nothing traditional about it, is there? When you look into it, there's, and I don't like that. I don't like it when there's so many different ways to make one thing. Like, to me, I just see it. You know those little ones you get like, uh, like the jam sponges you used to get in like a oh yeah Heinz Heinz yeah in the tins yeah in the tin and mm. that's how I remember a sticky toffee pudding just toffee on top of one of those and that's all I want mm. I'm quite low maintenance just give me a sponge with a bit of sauce in it I'm, I'm fine a bit of custard I don't want just oh Christmas pudding and, and all this people spend how long do people spend making those Christmas puddings as well yeah you started off like three months before or something yeah. Yeah. You spent all that time ago. Oh yeah, I've been I've been nursing this since, you know, last week of September. Why? Why is there nothing more productive in your life than to make a crap pudding? Just buy a cheesecake from Asda. I'll be delighted. Don't get it. And don't you know those very same people. Those, those very same people are saying, why do you spend six hours a week looking at a set of golf figures for people that end up twenty eighth? And then why do you spend an hour like this moaning about the same comments at the end of it as well? Exactly. Um, after eights, I'm a bit disappointed about as well now. Yeah, they're great. They're, them and, and um, Munchies. Matchmakers? Ah, oh, Matchmakers are, are terrible. I mean, what's the point of Matchmakers? Well, this is the thing. You know, Pointless. I used to quite like after eights, and then I realised the only reason I like it is because I was told that they're great at That's Christmas. You're eight. Yeah. They're not good. No, they they just taste like I just, you know, I might as well just brush my teeth. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Just get me the heroes and the celebrations, yep. get those out. And even though they've ruined the celebrations as well because they got rid of the bloody, was it the truffle, I think, or the Maltese, one of the ones that I really liked. I think it was a truffle. And replace it with a Twix. Oh, <laughs> and they're smaller now, aren't they, I, those tubs? I, I, I'm with you on the, um, I'm definitely with you on the matchmakers. I, I just, uh, do you know those other ones? What are those other stick things with chocolate at both ends? They're like really big. What's the point they're of them? They're awful. It's like those ones, you know, those ones, the what are the ones that they, they, they're like breadsticks and they dip into the chocolate pots. Just don't bother. Like I've wanted a breadstick and some chocolate sauce, so I'm just going to get myself a tub of Nutella. What's the point? There's some bad puddings out there, and Christmas time brings out the worst in everything. Uh, yeah. It really does. And what I don't understand about. Uh, like things like celebrations and heroes and quality street etc etc there's always one that no one likes that's universally hated I mean I I used to hate a bounty and now I can just about tolerate one but there'll still be 20 of them left in the tub before everyone's got over the rest that's not bad I don't mind I, yeah I'm, I'm alright bounties to be honest heroes they've added in, in the dinky decker now I, I didn't need that addition it was fine. Cream eggs were a late addition. Not really bothered about them apart from Easter. Like, why why do they have to add all these random ones that they know people are not going to eat? Is it so that people take a picture? I think what it is is a, it's a media, it's a marketing campaign. If we put this crappy chocolate that no one wants in the tub, everyone will take a picture of their tub that's full of the ones they don't want. 
and everyone opposed about it. So everyone's yeah. talking about celebrations and everyone goes and buys them. Very, very, yeah, very, very possible. Because you know what else is along those lines? Starbucks, when they spell your name wrong. Oh, I, do you know what? Do you know what? They just laugh at you then places. But that's, that's why I do it. So you say your name's Jason and they'll, they'll put Johnny down on Starbucks. Coffee for Johnny? Absolutely not. But then you'll take a picture of it put it on Instagram, got my name wrong again. <laughs> there's another free bit of advertising. You reckon that's why they do it? Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Really? Yeah, there's, there's no other way. They must get told. It must be part of the... Just spell I'll, it I'll be wrong. interested to speak to a barista. Is, are you told? Yeah. You might need a, You might need a barrister soon. You carry on. <laughs> <lying with the laughs> company. I, think, um, I think, I guarantee if we come off here now and you Google why Starbucks spells the name wrong, it'll be because of that. And if it's not because of that, then it should be. Because I can't believe there's that many unintelligent coffee makers no it's fair that, enough that can't spell tom no and spell it dave <laughs> it's just, it's not, no do you know. know what do you know what i'm i'm okay i never even thought of that so that's why starbucks and celebrations are out there to to uh, make mistakes Ruin so they your get life. free publicity it hasn't worked with the with the christmas pudding that's just always been crap that's just that's not just so everyone moans about it at Christmas. People like that. It's like trifle. Don't get it. I used to think that that like trifle would disappear over generations. No, it's it's. Like I thought that like I thought it was just my nan and and my uncles and aunts and and mum mum was slowly pe- getting old, out old of people's it. Old people's pudding. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually, like this, my generation and younger would come along, and all we want is a bloody chocolate cake and whatever. Like. But it's not. It's still stood the test of time. It's still readily available and wanted. Do people? I mean, I think people just like to be miserable, and that's why they eat trifle. It's possible. It's it's, 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 it's like when we we back people like Richard Bland and and, and I things don't. like that. I don't. Yeah, I know you tried to talk me out of it, but I must do it for some reason. <laughs> it can't be because I think he's going to win. Um, who knows? I certainly don't. Don't get to Christmas and look forward to puddings. That's one thing I will say. Thank you. So I think we've done a we've done a pre-Christmas rant in October. As I said to you earlier, I've already done my first item of Christmas shopping. So maybe I'm just getting into the festive spirit. You are indeed. It sounds like you're flying there. Yeah. I'm trying to will 2020 until the end now because I think we're uh, we're ready for to move on to next year, aren't we? But here we go. That's enough for us this week. We need to recap our selections, don't we? Because I've almost forgot that we've actually made bets this week. Um, the Cyprus Open. I'll let you lead off your selections. Um, right. Uh, so my selections are... Um, I don't know if they're in betting order or not. I can't remember now. Um, but uh, Jorge Campillo is my number one. Jordan Smith. Uh, Nick Colsart, I agree with you. And Jonathan Caldwell um, as the outsider. Yep, and I like Nicholas Colsarts at 45 and 50 to 1. He was, he's sort of 45 and 40 to 1 now. Um, I did like Christopher Wrightown when he was 175 to 1, 100 to 1. I think he would still play well, um, but probably the price has now gotten him. Stephen Brown, I think, is interesting at 125s and 110s as well. Um, over to the Bermuda Championship, and I'll lead us off on this one. I like Aaron Wise, Justin Sir, Peter Malnati. Uh, the same as you, and I also think that Scott Stallings, Wes Roach, and Josh Teeter are worth mentioning as well. Yeah, I've just gone for Wise and Malniarty. Um Keep my eye on a couple of others, Stallings, 
in particular um, from off the pace. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Salatoris wins this by six. Yep, absolutely. Um, we've got a, you know, every week now, it seems to be saying it's getting closer and closer to the Masters. Is your, uh, I saw they posted a video, which I haven't watched yet. Have you watched that? No, I haven't, no. It's like a little hype video, which I don't think they need for the Masters, but... Oh, have they? they, they perhaps they should show a, a hype video of the Masters on the European Tour when the leader is uh, just about to <laughs> Or they can just interview them in the middle of the course as well, yeah. whatever they want to do. They weren't as bad this week, the interviews. I still don't like them, but they weren't quite as... No, as they, weren't, they weren't inane questions asked. They just don't really see the point. If you speak to them before, the, before they go off and you speak to them after they go off, um, I, I really don't, you know, I just, you know, for example, you know, oh, Laurie, you were nervous this morning. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't really want to talk about being nervous, I don't think, want to talk about being nervous, you know, going down the third green, uh, third fairway. Now, fair enough, he gets asked if he wants to take part. But, and like you said last week, it's it's about making it a bit more interesting. I mean, may, you know, maybe you could show another three shots while, instead of interviewing him. But, you know. That's what they do, and they, they Europeans have never ever listened to anybody, you know, that actually watches it. So uh, why should they start now? I don't get it. Don't get it. Um, I mean, it wasn't Tim Barton. It wasn't. It was Iona, wasn't it? And you know, yeah, she's okay. She's she's. I think she's. I think she's good at delivering the questions. I think some of the ones she gets asked to ask are, are quite mundane. But I think they seriously need to look at their website if they think Sean uh, Sean Crocker won the nineteen seventy four Piccadilly. Uh, don't know what it's called now, Piccadilly Medal. You know, that was 22 years before he was born. I think that's quite essential they uh, take that from his record because that's misleading. But other than that, I'm, uh, I haven't got any more European talk gripes. So uh, on to next week then. Yep. Good luck this week, mate. Excellent. Thank you.